Lord, speak to us at this time as we enter spiritual disciplines too. O Lord, speak to us. O Lord, speak to us. O Lord, speak to us. Let things be clear. Let things be clear to our hearts. Make this practical. Let it not just be theory or theology. Let it be practical for us to work on these things and act on these things. To your glory and to your praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Spiritual Disciplines for the Last Days, Part 2. In Part 1, I started again talking about the mountain that is on the surface, but beneath the mountain are deep rocks that nobody sees, but those deep rocks are really the foundation that upholds the whole mountain. And we said that one of the most important things are those hidden disciplines that people don't see them. I'm repeating this because some people may not have been in spiritual disciplines part one. That the things outside that people see and celebrate, those are not the main things. Those are things that depend on the hidden things, the secret things. And in Spiritual Disciplines Part 1, we looked at four disciplines and we used the acronym SOFT, S-O-F-T. S standing for study, O standing for obedience, radical obedience, F standing for fasting together with prayer, and T standing for testify. These are four disciplines we looked at before. We also looked at this quote by A.W. Tozer, who I proudly announced to be my mentor. And he says, We taste thee, O living bread, and long to feast upon thee still. We drink of thee, the fountainhead, and thirst our souls from thee to fill. And so we say that, This is the root, the motivation that drives us into seeking the Lord and practicing the spiritual disciplines. That we say we taste the Lord, but we are not yet satisfied. We drink of the Lord, but we remain thirsty. And so we seek Him in the disciplines. In this part two, I'll be looking at five spiritual disciplines. Five Spiritual Disciplines. This is a series I teach around the world. It's actually one of the most important series. There are three parts. There's Spiritual Disciplines Part 1. There's Spiritual Disciplines Part 2, which is what we are doing now. And then there's Spiritual Disciplines Part 3. Because these are the foundations to the spiritual life. The formation of character the formation of life that impacts the world. So for part two, I'm using another acronym, which I'm calling SMART. SMART. The five disciplines, S-M-A-R-T. It's an acronym for SMART. And it means S, simplicity, M, meditation, A, aloneness, R, restraint, and T, truthfulness, smart, simplicity, meditation, aloneness, restraint, and truthfulness. Now, let's go deeper. Let's start with simplicity. This, for me, is one of the most important spiritual disciplines we need in our generation. Why? Because we live in a very confused world. Like you can see on my screen, as if many are blindfolded by the multiplicity of things calling for our attention. People are dragging us here 
dragging us there. And the world is setting goals. The world is setting, you know, agendas for us. We are chasing so many things. And our minds are scattered because we are overwhelmed, overloaded. Particularly with technology today, it's even worse because even our privacy is violated. Everyone can bump into us at any time and load us with their own agenda. Andre Dorain says, Nothing is more difficult than simplicity. You know, it seems so simple. And yet, simplicity has become so difficult. We have celebrated complexity and the more complex you are, it seems the more sophisticated you are. Rather than make life simple, we are progressing to making life more complicated. So Andre says something very deep. Andre says nothing is more difficult in our generation than simplicity. You know, even to dress simple is a problem. To act simple is a problem. To be simple is a problem. Why? If we pursue this spiritual discipline of simplicity, it's like the world screams at you and the world shouts and says, why are you so simple? Why are you so simple? I want to uh, say this honestly, not to flatter anyone, but I thank God for the general overseer of our church because he's a simple man. By reason of my ministry, I interact with so many other senior leaders, senior pastors, general overseer, and I see the complexity, the entourage of people that work with them, the security, the bodyguards, the police. To see them is not easy. Simplicity in this generation is very difficult. And I want to start by saying that it's a discipline to be simple. Our very famous scientist, philosopher, Isaac Newton says, truth is ever to be found in simplicity and not in the multiplicity and confusion of things. Truth is to be found in simplicity. These words need to be pasted on our wall. We need to write this on the tablets of our hearts. We need to write this in our Bible in bold. Truth is ever to be found in simplicity. I mean, how would you describe the life of Jesus except to be so simple that when they came to arrest him, Judas had to identify him with a kiss. Because he was so simple, you cannot, you know, identify him from others just by looking at him. He looked like the others. He talked almost like the others. He didn't have a special perfume. He didn't have a special garment. He was one with the others. Now, some people try, and I repeat, they try, they may not succeed, but some people try to make everything complicated. Be the person who tries to make everything simple. This is a quote by Dave Waters. You know, some people are always trying to make things complicated. One plus one is two. Why don't we just accept that? Why do we have to say one plus one divided by one? You know, why? why? Why the division in the midst? You know, why do you say one plus one divided by one plus one? People try to make life complicated. Things that are so straightforward, complicated. Even some of the services, the programs can be so complicated. Jesus was so simple. He said, come to me, come to me. And they tried to push the little children away. He says, no, even the little children can come to me. He was not complicated. 
Stay away from people who try to complicate things. There are people who are always trying to see dark shadows. There are people who are always trying to make things hard for people to understand. Why do we celebrate in making things hard and not simple? It's the world we live in. We live in a world where confused people want to confuse other people. We live in a world where complicated people want to complicate other people. And they make simple people look foolish. Thor Hayedal says, Progress is man's ability to complicate simplicity. So that is what has become progress. We complicate simplicity rather than simplify complication. So human progress seems to be that we are constantly trying to complicate things that are simple. How will I say, how will I define simplicity? Identify what is essential, eliminate the rest. Identify what is essential, eliminate the rest. When I travel, I travel with just one suitcase, one small bag. I don't travel with a lot of things because I travel simple. I can wear one shirt, one trouser, you know, and just change a few things. Now, I can see uh, somebody looking at his wife next to him. Um, no comments I will make on that because sometimes our wives tend to be a bit more complex when they travel. But blessed be our women. God made them wonderful. You know, we find that sometimes we need to just identify what are the most simple things we need. What are the most simple things? And then eliminate a lot of other things. One deodorant is enough for me. My shaving stick, my shaving cream, my, you know, simple and travel in one small bag. Now, this does not mean that if you have many bags when you travel, you are doing something wrong. I'm only giving my illustration there. Let's learn to eliminate a lot of things. Acts chapter 2, verse 46 to 47. So, continuing daily with one accord in the, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Do you notice that as they just live this simple life, daily meeting in the temple, daily breaking bread from house to house, sharing their food together with gladness and simpleness of heart, the Lord started to add, any message that is too complex for a child to understand, be careful. Even our messages need to be simple. Once the message has big, big words, deep, deep words that men cannot understand, we, we run the risk of becoming too complex. These men, they had simpleness of heart. And they ate their food with gladness of heart. Here, you don't see them talking about the kind of house we live. They don't talk about the kind of cars they drive. They don't talk about the kind of bank account they have. They were simple people to their core. Now, may the Lord bless us with houses and cars. May the Lord give us prosperity and large financial breakthroughs. But those are not things we testify and celebrate as much as the breaking of bread, the simplicity of life, the praising God, and the Lord adding new people. 2 Corinthians 11.3, King James, New King James. He says, But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by her crafting, his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. There is, you know, the devil came to Eve with craftiness. 
But Eve should have stayed simple. Did the Lord say you shouldn't eat this? Yes. Why? I don't know. He says I shouldn't eat it. It's good enough for me. She could have just stayed simple. And in the same way today, our minds become corrupted the moment we leave the simplicity that is in Christ. A friend of mine in Germany, he says that in the, I think it's the Lutheran tradition, I'm not sure. I think it's the Lutheran. He says that when you go to the Lutheran theological school in Germany, if you went in as a believer, you come out as an unbeliever. He says because by the time they have dissected the Bible, they have proven to you that the Bible is not really the original text. What you have was actually written by, rewritten by, rewritten by. They will prove to you using their modern theology that actually the word of God you have is not really the word of God. He said he had to run from their theological school. Why? We step away from the simplicity that is in Christ. We've become too theological. We have become too, we want to find out deeper mysteries. Brethren, let's not look for some of these deeper mysteries. I was born into a Christian family, but I veered off into something called the grail message. Some of you may know about the grail message. The man who started it is a man called Abdrushin, and he's supposed to be the personification of the Holy Spirit. I don't advise anyone to read that book. Their book, hmm, I won't even tell you the name of the book so you don't Google it. You know, it is complex because they take the simplicity of Christ and try to give it such, you know, esoteric meaning. They try to add mystical things into these things. May we follow the simplicity of Christ. And I thank God that he brought me back to the simplicity of Christ after years of wandering in the wilderness of complexities. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Psalm 119 verse 130. God's word gives understanding only to one group of people. And who are they? The simple hearted. If we approach the world as a child, we will see mysteries, mysteries by the simplicity. So what is simplicity? I want to just use these seven words to explain what I think. Simplicity means uncluttered. Simplicity means uncomplicated. Simplicity means not complex. Simplicity means innocent, no heirs. Simplicity means you prefer less to more. You know, these are the things that define simplicity. Simplicity means focus on what are essentials. This is the beauty of simplicity. I've spent the most time on S because it's the foundation. The simplicity of life is one of the most important disciplines we must nurture in these last days of complicated, complex people. I refuse to become a complex man. I choose to be simple. So you go into a gathering. Where you sit is not important. You stay simple. Where you sit does not matter. How people address you does not matter. Do they address you as reverend or pastor or bishop? You know, because you are choosing the simple life, it does not matter how people address you. You choose to live the simple life. Number two discipline is what I call smart. Sorry, meditation. The second part of, um, of the uh, smart is meditation. 
Psalm 19 verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. It's a discipline to be someone who asks the question, what are the meditations of my heart? What does my heart meditate on? Psalm 104 verse 34. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. We are not following Eastern religion. The Eastern religion, they empty their mind, they say. They say, empty your mind of everything as you meditate. That's not what we believe. We fill our minds with the meditation on God. Hallelujah, somebody. We fill our mind with the meditation on God. Oh, the early fathers. I am a student of the early fathers. You know, the St. Augustine. You know, the, 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 the A.W. Tozers. You know, even modern mystics like Richard Foster. You know, they were people that filled their mind with thinking of God. They were men. You know, they feel St. Francis of Assisi. They feel their mind, Madame Guyon. They feel their mind with the meditations of God. They meditated on God. Psalm 119 verse 99 I have more understanding than all my teachers. Why? For thy testimonies are my meditation. Why do I have more understanding than my teachers? I meditate on the statutes and the testimonies of God. Hallelujah. What will make me a man who goes far, who grows in wisdom, who excels even above my teachers, is that I meditate on God. I meditate on the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Oh, how sweet it is to meditate on the Lord all the day. In your office, you meditate on the law. In your car, you meditate on the Lord. In your bedroom, you meditate on the Lord all the day. It's a discipline. Why is it a discipline? Because there are so many things fighting for us to meditate on them. So many things are fighting for our attention. Genesis 24, 63 it says, Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the evening tide. You know, that is a discipline. When it's evening, get away from people. Do you see Jesus again and again? He would send away the multitudes. Why? To enter a quiet place to meditate. Isaac went into the fields, away from people. I'll deal with that a bit later on. But he went to meditate on the Lord. Psalm 4 verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed. And be still. God is calling us to be still within our hearts as we lie down on our beds. Don't think of the problems of Nigeria. Don't fill your time with the problems of the world. Meditate on the Lord, even on your bed. If you meditate on the problems of our world, you will be an on, on, you will be restless in a negative way. Your spirit will have no peace. When you think all the time, the kidnapping, the banditry, the killing, the war, it takes away peace. Now, we need to intercede. We need to pray for our world. But we need to meditate not on the problems of the world. We need to meditate on the Lord. Philippians 4.8 
tells us the things we should meditate on. So he doesn't say meditate on the problems of your life. Meditate on the problems of Nigeria or, U- or US or Europe or Asia. Meditate on what is true. Meditate on what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is of good report, what is excellent, what is worthy of praise. Fight the things that come in to steal our meditation. Harold B. Lee says something that touches me. He says, you can come closer to the Lord than you imagine when you learn to meditate. You know, meditation is a form of prayer. As Pentecostals, sometimes we have demeaned the discipline of meditation. You know, we have we have chosen that the only kind of prayer we pray is loud, boisterous prayers. But there's a place for loud, boisterous prayers. There's a place for shouting and raising our voice. But there's a place for that quiet meditation. My wife comes from a a Baptist background. And, um, you know, when we're courting, you know, and we're just getting to know each other and we are praying together. And I am, you know, standing up, raising my voice and praying. My wife will just stay in one corner, kneeling down, and I'm not hearing anything. And I used to say, look at this sister. She's not spiritual. She doesn't really pray. If she prays, how come I can't hear anything? You know? And then I will be forcing her, open your mouth and talk to the Lord. Come on, talk to the Lord. Let's hear you talk to the Lord. <laughs> you know? And I, I, I was trying to form her into my Pentecostal tradition. Raise your voice. Come on, let us show that we are praying. Move yourself. Let the Lord know you are in his presence. <laughs> then I realized that This woman is praying better than me because when I get close to her, where she's kneeling down praying, I see tears coming from her eyes. You know, as she is with the Lord in deep communion, pouring her heart to the Lord. And I say, look at me shouting up and down. And, you know, my mind is still distracted. But look at this lady meditating on the Lord, pouring her heart to the Lord. May we learn to do both. May we learn to raise our voices when we need to, but may we also learn the quiet discipline of praying through meditation. Richard Foster, one of our most recent spiritual leaders of the spiritual discipline, says, Eastern meditation is an attempt to empty the mind. Christian meditation is an attempt to fill the mind. The two ideas are quite different. And I think I've talked about this already. The two ideas are quite different. Eastern meditation says empty your mind. Our meditation says fill your mind with the word of God. Fill your mind with God himself. Pope John Paul II says, Offer Christ in your heart in meditation and personal prayer, which is the foundation of the spiritual life. Now, I know that we are not Catholics, but you know there are disciplines we must learn from our Orthodox brothers and sisters because they are deeper in meditation. We went to Egypt and we went to visit the, um, the Coptic, one of the Coptic... Uh, um, you know, uh, retreat houses. And, you know, we went there and we found these Coptic priests. They spent hours, hours just meditating on the word of God. And, you know, it's hard to meditate for hours because sleep would take you usually. But this man, you know, in a very quiet place and candles everywhere, Everyone kneeling for hours, just meditating on the Lord. Meditating on the Lord. This is what Pope John Paul says is the foundation of the spiritual life when we offer Christ our hearts in meditation. Am I sounding less Pentecostal? I'm sorry, 
But we need to bring this balance in here that we need more of meditation as a discipline to the spiritual life. Discipline number three is being alone. It's a discipline. Our early fathers practiced a lot of this. Jesus practiced a lot of this. You know, alone is a time when you wrestle with God. You know, you wrestle with God alone. It's a time to seek God. And you, you pour your heart. You say things that no man can hear. Just you and the Lord. Just you and the Lord. Exodus chapter 24 verse 2, King James Version. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord. But they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. Moses was asked to come alone. There's a place for approaching the Lord alone. Yes, there's a place for the corporate meetings. There's a place for going together into the presence of the Lord. But there's a place when the Lord says to you, Pastor Don, come to me alone without your wife. Pastor Ada, come to me alone without your husband. I want to meet with you alone, not with the people, not with the congregation, not with the crowd. Our early fathers understood the discipline of being alone. Unfortunately, we live in a generation where spirituality is measured more by the amount of time you spend in corporate meetings than the amount of time you spend alone. For those who are close to me, and I have the, the, the privilege of mentoring, the question I'm asking many of these men and women is, how much time do you spend alone with the Lord? How much time? It's a discipline. Matthew 14, 22 to 23, the Bible says it was late and Jesus was there alone. He was there alone. He had had time with the people. He had had time with the multitudes. But then he knew it was time to be alone. May we have time with people. But anybody who spends time with people all the time, is definitely wasting time. I repeat, anybody who spends time with people all the time is wasting time. We must have the healthy balance of knowing when to be alone, away from the crowd. John 6, 15, when Jesus saw that the people who witnessed his miraculous sign were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself, alone, of course. When you're always with the crowd, they will want to force you to do things you don't want to do. That's the problem with the crowd. The crowd will force you sometimes to want to do things that God has not even asked you to do. Only men who have learned to be alone can properly learn how to be with people. I repeat, only men who have learned to be alone can properly learn how to be with people. Because when you've learned to be alone, to hear the voice of the Lord alone, when you are with people, you know when to stop being with people. You will know when people are deviating do you remember in Spiritual Disciplines Part 1, someone asked a question and said, how do you know when your spiritual leader is missing it? Learn to spend time alone. Learn to hear the voice of the shepherd alone. He says the voice of a stranger, the sheep will not follow. But men who don't spend time alone, they're always listening for the voice of people. They want people to tell them everything. Now, some people who are babies in the faith, yes, they need people to always teach them and tell them everything. 
But as we grow with the Lord, we must grow in the discipline of aloneness where we hear the voice of the Lord distilled quietly into our soul, into our spirit. It may not be a loud voice. It may not be thunder and lightning, but that still small voice speaking on the inside. The Bible says that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, Acts of the Apostles, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Set apart for me. Setting apart means to be alone with the Lord. It means to be set specially for the Lord. While you are worshiping and fasting, please find time alone. Set apart so you can hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. Sometimes loneliness is God's cry for time with you. You know, sometimes we begin to feel lonely. We begin to not want to be with people. I don't know about you, but there are times I don't want to be with people anymore. Now, by reason of my ministry, I find that I am always bombarded by emails and WhatsApp and text messages. I'm always in speaking meetings or conferences or churches. So I'm most of the time with people. And then after a while, this deep loneliness comes upon me. Something happens to me like a kind of inner sorrow. And my wife always tells me, that is the Lord saying, go and be alone with me. When we are always with people, what the Lord sometimes will do is to extract the joy of the community from you. The Lord sometimes will take away the joy of being with people so that you can find time to be alone. God is crying for time with us. And sometimes he creates a loneliness that will force us to enter the place of aloneness. Oswald Chambers, another great man from our previous generations, said, Solitude with God repairs the damage done by the fret and the noise and the clamor of our world. Another name for aloneness is solitude. Solitude is a time when you go to God to repair the soul. That's why meditation and solitude work hand in hand. When you are alone with God in solitude, the Spirit of God can repair the damage done by fretting and anxiety and noise and clamor. The Lord goes on the inside. That's why Jesus always went to the mountain alone. He had spent a day full of talking and ministry but he always retired to a place of rest with God, aloneness, to repair the inner man. Here's an anonymous quote. It says, Do not confuse solitude with loneliness. One builds and the other destroys. So, loneliness is not what we're talking about. When somebody is experiencing loneliness, it destroys the soul. But when you enter solitude, it's a willing choice to be alone. A willing choice to meditate. You know, when I travel, I like to find places of nature to be alone. Just places where you can see the sunset or the sunrise. To sit in the compound of your house. Just sit somewhere alone and quiet. Observe the birds, observe nature, observe what's around you. R of smart is restraint. Trying to go quickly because of time. The R of smart is restraint. Self-restraint is indulgence of the propensity to forego. That's a quote by Ambrose Bierce. That means people that practice self-restraint, 
they are indulging in something. And what is that? They are indulging in foregoing. People that practice restraint, they are learning to forego. They are learning to release things. Denying yourself is the way the Bible puts it. That self-restraint really means take yourself and deny yourself. Don't give yourself what yourself wants all the time. Because self always wants many things. But many things that self wants is not what God wants. So the discipline of restraint or self-restraint or self-denial was a principle that helped everyone who walked with the Lord to keep in step with the Lord. Like Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, if you read the whole context from 23 to 27, he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. It's not, part, you know, it's must. Do you see that in the Bible? Not may, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That means we cannot follow Jesus unless we deny self. And the power of self-denial comes from the cross of Jesus. As we carry the cross, what self wants is not what you give it. Self many times desires things that contradict the will of God. We must consciously, deliberately choose to die daily. The Bible says we die daily. We deny self daily. We let the Spirit of God teach us what that means. Psalm 39 verse 1 says, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. This world is a wicked place. And so we must learn what it means to guard our hearts, guard our tongue. It is restraint. Don't always say what you feel. Some people say, I have to say what I feel. That's the way I am. I must say the way it is. No, that's not wisdom. Sometimes to say what you feel all the time will defile you. It will defile people around you. Those of us who are married, you know, one of the best disciplines in a marriage is to know when not to speak. Know when to be silent. It's not everything you feel you say when you want to say. We need the practice of self-restraint. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.12, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So all things are lawful, but we need to ask, must we submit to all things? No, because not all things are expedient. Now, he puts it in another way in 1 Corinthians 10, 23. He says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, in quotes, but not everything is constructive. It takes restraint to know when not to use your right. It takes, I repeat, it takes restraint to know when not to use your right. It is your right. But a spiritual discipline is to know when not to use your right. It's your right. But if you use your right, is it beneficial? Is it constructive? The spiritual mystics of the past, the men and women who walked deeply with God, they were men who practiced restraint. They knew how to hold back. They knew how to be silent. They knew how not to give in to their desires. They insisted 
not to let self win. So here are two pigeons having a discussion. And one pigeon asks the other one, what's the opposite of self-restraint? And the other pigeon says, the opposite of self-restraint is self-indulgence, unconstraint, disinhibition, incontinence, gratification, indulgence, excessiveness, immoderacy. Those are a lot of big words. But let me pick three of them. Anyone who does not practice the discipline of restraint, he is someone who practices self-gratification. That means he is focused on doing what pleases him, not what is right, what pleases him. The second word there is excessiveness. Anyone who does not practice this discipline tends to be excessive. You spend excessively, you watch TV excessively, you laugh excessively, you talk excessively, you know, you spend money excessively. Anyone who does not practice restraint tends to be excessive in a negative way. And the third word there is immoderacy. People who practice, who do not practice restraint, they are not moderate. They are immodest and they are not moderate. Here is a quote. Say, you cannot glorify Christ and self at the same time. It's just not possible. Now, our world is trying to tell us it's possible, but they are lying. They are lying. You cannot glorify self and glorify Christ at the same time. It is going against scriptures. Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. Self is a master. And so we must never let self have the final say. Be calm and choose to deny yourself. Of course, we know the fruit of self-control. Self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. But here are the fruits of self-control itself. Number one, mastering your moods. Number two, watching your words. Number three, restraint of actions or reactions. Number four, sticking to a shadow. Number five, managing money wisely. Number six, maintaining good health. It takes self-control to achieve all of these things. You cannot master your mood without self-control. Our words need self-control. Our reaction needs self-control. To stick to a schedule, you need self-control. To manage your money wisely, you need self-control. Even to maintain good health means that at your age, you no longer drink Pepsi and Coca-Cola and malt. You don't eat six pieces of meat because you feel like. You don't go to a party and eat everything they give you. You know. You know you cannot manage your health without self-control. I am learning, learning that I need to control what I eat. By the grace of God, I've lost about six or seven kg in the last one month because I'm suddenly more conscious. I must lose weight. You know, you sit down behind you know, a laptop for six hours and as a man, that is invitation to prostrate problems. So as we grow older, we need self-control. They offer you wine, no thank you. Malt, no thank you. Sugar, no thank you. You know, carbs, reduce your carbs. And I have a wonderful wife who tries to help this very stubborn husband many times when I start to lose self-control. And the final thing in SMART is truthful. Truthful. Be truthful even when it hurts. Be truthful even when it hurts. It's a spiritual discipline. 
that we tell the truth even when it hurts us. Sometimes they say, but if I tell him the truth, they will look down on me. Oh, brother, let them look down on you. A spiritual discipline is learning to speak truth. I only believe in telling the truth and being truthful. Of course, when to tell the truth requires wisdom. How to tell the truth requires wisdom. But telling the truth is not optional. The when is optional. The how is optional. The where is optional. But to tell the truth itself, people have become, they call it miserly with truth. To be miserly with truth is simply telling a lie. And many people tell lies. I was doing my early morning walk one day, and there's a young man I've been trying to reach out to. He's a musician. And he sent me his music, and he said to me, have you listened to my music I sent to you on WhatsApp? Unconsciously, I said, yeah, 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 I've listened to it. But I had not listened to it. But I knew that if I told him I've not listened to it, I will disappoint him. So he was doing his walk, I was doing my walk, we passed each other. The moment I answered him like that, I lost my peace. Brethren, may we lose our peace whenever we tell even a small lie, what some may call a white lie. I had to go look for that man to say, I'm sorry, actually I have not listened to your video. May we always tell the truth. Susie Kasim says, being truthful is the new beautiful. I repeat, being truthful is the new beautiful. You see, these are spiritual disciplines, like being simple is the new beautiful. Being meditative is the new beautiful. Learning to be alone in solitude is the new beautiful. Being self-restraint is the new beautiful. And being truthful is the new beautiful. Brella de la Hussein says, when you are able to be truthful with yourself, it allows you to be truthful to everyone around you. And so sometimes, friends, we actually lie to ourselves, which is very sad. We actually are not honest. And it is hard, but we must be brutally honest with ourselves. The Bible says in Ephesians 6.14, Stand therefore, and having girded your waist with truth. We must gird our waist with truth. No more lies, brothers. No more white lies, blue lies, green lies, any color lies, albino lies. No more lies. We must decide as ministers of the gospel, as pilgrims on a journey, lying, no matter the type of lie, must never proceed from our mouth. Some people say, you can tell a lie if you have a good reason to. You cannot tell a lie for any reason. Psalm 15 tells us, verse 2 to 3, it says, the one who walk, whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others. This is the spiritual man. This is the man that God respects. This is the man that walks with the Lord. I am asking God to raise pilgrims, men and women who are on pilgrimage, who say to themselves, I will speak truth from my heart as a pilgrim. I will always speak truth from my heart. John 17, 17, Sanctify them by truth. Your word, O Lord, is the truth. Jesus, of course, is the word of God. Jesus, of course, is the way, the truth, 
and the life. There is no other one. Jesus is truth. Jesus equals truth. Do you know that 76 times Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. 76 times. You know, assuredly, assuredly, verily, verily, I tell you the truth. Jesus was committed to truth. Shall I conclude at this moment by saying that without the practice of these Christian disciplines, we will remain stranded in our world of nothingness and shallowness, being conquered by ourselves and by the world around us. So if we don't practice these Christian disciplines, we'll be stranded in a world of emptiness, a world that is, is shallow, we'll be conquered by ourselves, we'll be conquered by everything around us. Therefore, for those who desire to enter into victories with God and with man, we need more earnestly to seek God to make us smart. Living out the practical expressions of God by living by the spiritual disciplines. If we want to enter victories with God and victories with man, we must earnestly seek God to help us to be smart. Can I ask that we close in prayer? But the question we start with is, will you live by these disciplines? Will you live by these disciplines? The smart disciplines. We've talked about S and M and A and R and T. Will we live by these disciplines? Can I ask you, please, if you would like to unmute yourself? Let's go to the Lord for the next few minutes. Time is not on our hands. But our first prayer is, Lord, help me to live by the smart disciplines. Help me to live by these five disciplines. I will live, oh God, by the aloneness. I will learn to be alone. I will learn to practice self-restraint. I will learn, oh God, even to, to practice this thing smart. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me. I will speak the truth always. I will speak the truth always. I will speak the truth always. Brothers and sisters, let's cry to the Lord. Let's cry to the Lord. Unmute yourself if you want to. If you don't want to, just cry to the Lord. Let's cry to the Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me to be smart. Help me to be smart. Help me to be smart, oh God. Oh my God, help me to be smart. In the name of the Lord Jesus, help me to leave these disciplines. Help me to leave these disciplines. In Jesus' name we pray. Our final prayer is to ask the Lord. I have one life to live. If I will impact my world, then I need solid foundations. From today, Lord, any one of these disciplines that I am weak in, give me special grace from today to grow in those disciplines. Just for those special disciplines. Maybe you are strong in one, weak in the other. Can you go to the Lord I hope you can remember all those disciplines. Can you go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to practice each of those disciplines. I want to be strong in each of them. Lord God, Lord, I pray. Lord, 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 I'm pleading with you. Simplicity, meditation, aloneness, restraint, truthfulness. Say, Lord, make me simple. Make me simple. Make me a man simple inside and outside. Help me learn meditation. 
to be alone in solitude, meditating day and night on the word of God. Grace, Lord. Grace, Lord. Grace, Lord. Grace, Lord. Grace, Lord. Grace, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege we've had to look at the smart disciplines. Lord, we beg you that every one of us will grow in each of these things. Lord, as leaders, as pilgrims, as Jesus um, followers, that we would be passionate, passionate in these disciplines. Lord, are we weak in any one of these things? Lord, I pray for mercy to meet with us and to grow us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.